Let me pray for us, and then we're going to wrap up this series. God, I'm so grateful for every person that you brought here today. I know it's not an accident, starting and including with me. God, you, you brought us here because you have something you want to say to us. And so, God, I pray that um, your word would speak loudly, that it would uh, cut our hearts deeply, and that we would leave here today different than when we came in. May you receive all the glory and praise and honor because you're the only one that deserves it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we've been in this series called Bulletproof, and unashamedly, it's a series on biblical manhood. And where the name of this series comes from, Bulletproof, is this idea that many of us guys, us men, from the time we were little boys, we were taught, hey, a real man is bulletproof. Don't cry when you fall down. Don't let people see your real emotions when you're afraid. Don't let people know you're afraid. This mentality of you got to act like you got your stuff together and nothing in this world would ever hurt you. And that's, that's a great theory on paper. The problem is it doesn't work because we're not bulletproof. There, there's, no, there's not one man in here that doesn't feel pain, that doesn't feel fear. And so, so we, we began asking this question, what is God's definition of a real man? Not Steve Ferris's opinion, who cares? Not, not the Bridge Fellowship's official stance, because we don't have one. We're just going to point people to the Bible and say, what, how does the Bible define a real man? Okay, and so, so uh, the last few weeks we've been looking at some words from Scripture that help us understand what it is God has created us to be as men. But before we wrap this up, and yes, we're going to wrap it up today, and I know some men in this room are like, thank you, Jesus, can we please talk about something else? Uh, and next week we are, we're going to talk about the book of Psalms. We're going to kick off a, a new series next week called Lyrics. And the reason we're calling it Lyrics, in case you didn't know this, you may not, but many, almost all of the psalms are written in song form, music form. They're verses. They're, they're designed to be sung. And no, I'm not going to sing. You're welcome. But we're going to take um, several weeks and we're going to look at an individual psalm each week. We may not cover the whole psalm, but from now through Thanksgiving, we're going to cover this and it's going to be awesome and there are going to be some surprises for you and there are going to be some bridge people that you know and see often that might come up here with me and we might share some of their favorite lyrics, some of their favorite music of all times and, and know it may not be hymns or psalms, it might be Led Zeppelin or Van Halen or, or whatever, but it's going to be fun. It's a great series, a great opportunity for you to invite your friends so that kicks off next week lyrics don't miss it we're going to be back so we've been looking at uh we've been looking at these words from scripture that define real manhood and we started in week one with the word submit and we basically said this a real man submits himself to a higher authority and understands that this life is not all about him, that, that there are people that know more about him, uh, more about life than he does. And, and, and ultimately, there's this higher power called Jesus Christ. And if anything's going to get better in our life, we have to submit ourselves to his authority. And then we talked about men of honor and, and how men of honor properly prioritize uh, all areas of their lives. They get it right. They understand God's definition of what's most important, 
right? And then last week, uh, Brandon did an amazing job uh, drilling down on this idea of assess and improve, where real men, uh, not, not once in their life, not every couple of years, but on, a, on an ongoing, regular basis, we stop and assess, brutally assess, painfully assess areas of our lives that are unhealthy and toxic. And here's the catch. Real men do something about it. They don't just talk and say, I need to look at some areas of my life that need improvement because we can all do that. In fact, you didn't even need to come here today for me to tell you that there are areas of your life that need improvement. You already know that. Every morning, men, when we look in the mirror, we, we look and go, you know what? I need to be a better version of what I'm seeing in my life. The catch is doing something about it, taking action, rooting those things out, going deep in our lives and saying this has to change. And so we're going to wrap this thing up today with one more word. And honestly, we could keep going and cover several more words. Uh, and, 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 and in fact, because of that and because of the enormous response we've gotten from some of you men, but also from ladies, uh, I'm going to announce today that going forward, every single year at the Bridge Fellowship, we're going to take a month a year and teach on biblical manhood. Now, I know some men are thinking, Time to find a new church. I, I, know, I know what you're thinking, but listen to me. I, I don't know about you, and, and I realize, listen, as uncomfortable as it's been for you to, to sit and listen to some of this, it's been equally uncomfortable for Brandon and I to teach this, and here's why. We know we don't got to figure it out yet. And so why in the world will we stop teaching on this if we haven't gotten it figured out? It's not like we're going to do one four-week series and all the men are going to be saints and perfect husbands and perfect fathers. And, and, and I hear women laughing like, nope, not yet. And, and that's why we're going to continue to be committed to chasing after what God says a biblical man looks like. All right? So on that note, serious moment here. I want to warn you, today is brutal. It's not fun for me to teach. Uh, I feel incredibly inadequate to share some of the things I'm going to share today because it's hard. They're hard truths. It's not going to be fun. There are going to be moments, men, where some of you feel panicky and all you want to do is run to the car and never come in this place again because we're going to talk about real things that, that happen in our, our real life. And, and you're going to think, I don't have to listen to this. Who do you think you are? And, and the reality is you don't. Nobody says you have to listen to this. But here's my plea, man to man. Please stay to the end. Please don't turn me off halfway through when you hear some things that you don't really like. Please stay to the end because I think you'll really be encouraged if you'll listen all the way through. So the final word we're going to look at in this uh, Bulletproof Biblical Manhood series is the word sacrifice. Sacrifice. And, and some other ways to say the word sacrifice include this. Look at this. Give up. Let go of put to death. And, and here's how we're going to unpack that word sacrifice during our time together today. This is kind of the, the main point. If you don't get anything else, you want to get this. And it, it goes like this. Real men sacrifice their own wants and desires to provide for and protect the more important needs of others. Now, I want to clarify a couple of things about that statement real quick before we move on. First of all, it's so important that everybody in here today, men, women, children, teenagers, whoever you are in here today, you need to know wants and desires are not the same thing as needs. 
We all have wants and desires, and then we have needs, okay? And, and men, God is not asking you today, nor should anyone in your life expect you to not take care of yourself. What we're going to talk about today is not sacrificing your needs. It's sacrificing your wants and desires on the altar of the needs of those that you love the most. That's what we're talking about today. And, and, and listen, the problem comes when men never mature to the point where they can tell the difference between those two things, my wants and desires and the needs of others. When, when that happens, men who are stuck in this delayed manhood, we've been calling it, and they think their wants and desires are the same things as their needs, listen to me, they're not the same thing. And that's, that's a threshold that all of us men need to pass, pass through and cross over to, right? When men cannot distinguish between wants and, need, wants and desires and needs, it's a recipe for disaster. And it usually ends up in a negative way impacting those that we would look in the mirror and say, I love them the most. Those people are the ones that pay the heaviest price when we can't understand the difference between my as a man, my wants and desires and the needs of those that I love the most, okay? Now, men, listen, look at this. God is not saying today, and we are not teaching today, that a man's wants and desires are not important, okay? That, that's not what we're saying today. God is not going to say to any man in here today, who cares what you want? That's not important. That's not, what, that's not where we're teaching. That's not where this is going today. But here's what God is saying to you and to me today. There are things in life more important than a husband, father, brother, or son's immediate wants and desires. God is saying that to me and you today. There are things more important. And there comes a time in every man's life where he has to be willing to sacrifice what he wants for the more important things of others around him. Maybe, maybe it's more important for a few minutes, Maybe, it's more, maybe their needs are more important for a season. Maybe you have to put the needs of the ones you love the most ahead of your wants and desires for your whole life. Maybe you have to make that sacrifice and trust that their needs are more important. That is the mark of a real man, a good man. And let me call a timeout and say this. Every man in here, not because of your own ability, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and me, you are a good man. You have the ability to be a really good man of honor and submission, a man who can assess and improve, and a man who can sacrifice his wants and desires so that he can protect uh, and provide for those that he loves, okay? Um, it's kind of like this. If, if, if a man put his wants and desires on this side of the scale... And then over here, he sees what needs to be done to protect and provide for those that he loves the most. And he realizes that he, to do both is impossible. A real man chooses provide and protect every time. That's what a real man does. Again, look, real men sacrifice their own wants and desires. This is worth taking a picture of to provide for and protect the more important needs of others, especially those he loves the most. Okay, now let's, let's take a breath because all that was the easy part. Okay, that, that was the, the non-awkward, uh, non-offensive part. And, and I know what some of you are thinking, I didn't like that part. Well, it's going to get harder, okay? And so please don't miss what I'm about to say. 
In the next few minutes, we're going to cover some things that if we're not careful, it's going, it, it can sound or feel a lot like condemnation. And I want to make it abundantly clear, there is no condemnation for those who are under the blood of Jesus Christ and have handed over the keys of their lives to them. There is no condemnation. And this guy right here with the microphone today, the last thing I am standing here doing is condemning you. Okay? But, but look at this. There is a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation comes from the enemy. Conviction in our hearts to change the way we live comes from the Holy Spirit, comes from Jesus Christ. And, and last week, as, as Brandon talked about this, assess and approve, everything that that says, that we need to, on a regular basis, take a deep look at our lives and go, hey, this area is unhealthy, this area is broken, this area is toxic, that's what we're about to do in our time remaining. So before we go there, I'm sure that some of you uh, sitting here today, you're new at the bridge, you might be thinking, is the ball guy always this intense and mean? And no, I'm not mean. I'm very nice. Sometimes I'm mean, but most of the time I'm very nice, but I'm passionate. And I'll be honest with you, to be as transparent as I possibly can, I'm nervous. Because I don't have the authority to say what I'm about to say today. I have to stand on the word of God. Because you don't need to hear what I have to say today. You need, we, you and I men, need to hear from Jesus Christ and his word and what it says a real man looks like. And so let me say this. The most unloving thing that I could possibly do is passively and condescendingly pat you on the head, tell you to think happy thoughts, stay positive, and everything in your life will turn out okay. That's not true. And that would be highly irresponsible of me as your pastor to, to get up here and give you this fluffy little sermon. Listen, if you're new to the bridge, we made a pact a long time ago. Before we ever moved here to Colorado Springs, before we ever opened this door, we're going to talk about hard things because life is hard. And that's what we're going to do. So look at this on the screen. This is worth taking a picture of. Hard truth spoken in love is sometimes the only way we men will wake up to our boyish behavior and start acting like the men that God has created us to be. So on that note, let me say this. Some of the truths that we're going to unpack today will apply to both men and women. They'll apply to teenagers. They'll apply to uh, lots of people in this room, but we're going to zoom in on men. And so women, let me talk to you for just a second. Today is not the day to elbow your spouse. Okay? It's just not. Listen to me, women. Look at me. Please don't, on the car ride home, re-preach this sermon to your husband. Please. And, and, I, I, and I'm being serious. Here's why. He's going to feel bad enough when he leaves here today. It, we're, we're about to say hard things. Please, if you get in an argument tonight, ladies, don't bring this back up and go, I don't think somebody heard what the preacher said today, Okay? <laughs> He, he, heard, he heard me. It's just hard. It's just hard, right? Let me tell you before we go any further who we're not talking to in these next few minutes. We're not talking to boys because boys wouldn't get this. Boys don't understand sacrifice because they're not there yet. And so we got to talk to men. 
And what that means, starting with this one right here, is that every man in this room has to sacrifice the boy in his life and allow the Holy Spirit and God's Word to talk to the men in the room. Boys don't sacrifice because they're not mature enough yet. Boys don't understand what it means to give up something they want for someone else's benefit. Boys don't do that because they're children. Men aren't children, they're men. I have yet, see if you can relate to this, I have yet to meet a three-year-old who loves sacrificing for others. You know what three-year-olds are? They're selfish, including your kids. Okay, in fact, let me tell you a little secret. Sometimes, during the first couple of songs, I'll sneak down the kids' hallway here and say hi to the kids, and I watch some of your kids sometimes, and they're not very nice. And I know what some of you parents are thinking. You're thinking, and when you think of your three-year-old, here's what you think in your mind. I bet when Jesus was three, that's what he was like. <laughs> Our three-year-old. Nope. That's not what Jesus was like. Not even close. I peeked in on a kid's class not too long ago, and I watched this little guy, maybe three or four years old, and he tried to share, and it didn't go well. He had a truck that I think maybe he brought from home, and a little girl in his class held out her hand for him to give him, uh, give her his truck. And in disbelief, he actually handed it to her. And I could see the look on his face. He was like, what is happening right now? You know, she, I'm giving her my truck. And, and it went well for like, like 12 seconds. And then this little guy fell on the ground, weeping, saying one word. And I bet you can guess what it was. Mine. That's mine. It, and, and he kept crying. And finally, one of the, the, the helpers in the room noticed and, and went over to him. And he said, that's mine. That's mine. It's my turn. And you know what? From the other side of the gate, watching a three-year-old do that, it was cute. When you're three. Not when you're 30. And having a boyish attitude that says, mine, I want mine right now, I want my fun right now, no matter what it costs the people that I love to mo the most, when, when, when that guy that has that attitude is your father or your husband, it's not cute anymore. So let's look at this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your Bible today, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, and then we're going to be in Colossians 3. You can turn there, but we'll have it on the screen. Let me set this up before we look at this verse. Um, a lot of theologians call uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 the chapter of love, because in this, Paul outlines love is this, love is not this, and he walks through different, different aspects of love, um, and I don't think that's a coincidence that Toward the end of this chapter, he says these words. Look with me in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Bible says this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up. There's that word. Sacrificed my childish ways. Now here are some 
pretty good ways to look at this. When you, when you think about Paul's statement uh, that he was writing to this church, and, and, and by the way, the, the way a lot of these New Testament uh, books got their names is they were letters written to a certain group of people. And 1 Corinthians is the first letter that Paul wrote to a group of people in a town called Corinth, and it's still there today in Europe. And, and you can go there, and, and, and what he's doing is he's talking to these people because obviously they didn't have the love thing down quite right yet and so he was reminding them this is what love looks like this is what you really do to love and toward the end of that chapter he takes time to go hey when I was a boy I acted like a boy when I became a man I gave up my childish ways and uh, uh, some ways we can look at this and you might want to get your cameras ready because we're going to fly through these Uh, it goes like this boys take men give boys ask is it fun men ask how can I help boys are all in as long as it's entertaining men are all in until they finish what they started boys are about self-indulgence men are about sacrificial love boys are born men are made men are trained And so let me talk to the parents in the room for a minute. Parents, and and, and look at me. Nobody's asking you to be perfect. Nobody's asking us to get it right every time. When Jesus hung on the cross, he knew full well that you and I were going to fall on our face over and over and over again. And he stayed there because he loved us. Okay? And, and he stayed on the cross, not so that you would have this big uh, ball and chain holding on to you called, I got to be perfect or, or I'm out. He, he stayed on the cross so that you would know that no matter how many times you fall, he's got your back and he still believes in you. That said, let me say this, parents, it is your job to train up your sons and daughters so that they will be others-minded people. I read an article not too long ago by an author who who called some children high chair tyrants because they rule the house. Many parents are stuck in this this cycle where they don't want to rock the boat and they don't want to hear their kids cry, so they sacrifice boundaries on the altar of silence and peace. And what ends up happening is if you... you, uh, raise your children by pacifying them you're not doing any favors to the people that they're going to work with be married to or raise themselves when they have kids you're you're raising people to think it's all about me and so parents part of this is our job yes daughters too but listen to me if you have a son teach your son that the honorable thing to do is to be others minded put others before themselves and we'll come back to that in just a second. And I, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're having conversations with me in your head, and it's not nice. I know. And, and, and you're saying, who do you think you are telling me how to parent? And I'm just telling you, listen, the, these, these are the things that God is telling us, not me telling you. He's telling us brutal truths that it is our job as parents, specifically fathers, to model to our kids, especially our son, what sacrifice looks like. Andy Stanley, Pastor Andy Stanley in Atlanta, Georgia, says it this way. Look at this. This is definitely worth a picture. Disappointment is the gateway to gratitude. 
If you never experience disappointment, you don't know how to be grateful. And listen to me, if you never put your children in a situation where they experience disappointment, they'll never be grateful. And it's hard. Listen, my wife can tell you, I battled this. When our girls were little, I was the rescuer. I wanted to help. I wanted to make the situation better. A lot of daddies are like that. It's in us, but we have to fight against that and understand if I let them struggle, it will make them stronger. Struggle makes strong. If I rush in and rescue them every time something doesn't go their way, you know what they're going to be when they grow up? Weak and selfish. And they're not going to have a mindset that says, I was put here on this earth to help other people. And listen to me, you've heard me say this over and over again at the Bridge Fellowship. That's why we're here. The ultimate goal for all believers is to go to heaven. And for some reason, we're still sitting here. We're still sitting here because God wants us to help other people. And so if you want your kids to be grateful, allow them to be disappointed. Don't rescue them every time. Yes, it's hard, but it's true. By the way, we're still not to the really hard part. Here's a a hard truth that can be life-changing, attitude-altering, an aha moment that signifies that I have moved from being a child, a boy, to an adult, a man, and it goes like this. My life is not all about me. My life has been given to me so I can serve and help others. And no, that doesn't happen overnight. Yes, there is grace when you don't get it right the first, second, or 50th time. But this is what we should all, men, women, everybody in this room, we should all be moving toward a life that is not about us. And listen to me, I have flashes just like you do where I get it right more than other times. And when I get it right and my life is focused on other people and I'm giving to other people, there's something inside my mind and heart that says, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what I was wired to do. It just feels like this is the plan that God had for my life is is to help other people. And so let me, real quick, before we move on to Colossians, let me paraphrase Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians in my own word. This is just Steve's paraphrase, all right? What he was saying in 1 Corinthians 13, 11 is this. As a real man, I lay down what a boy would do and pick up what a man would do. That's the process that all of us should be chasing after and pursuing in our lives. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. And again, Paul is writing a letter to a group of people, uh, this time in a different city. And this is what he says. I'm reading now the English Standard Version. The Bible says this. Put to death, therefore, put to death, sacrifice, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, covetousness, which is idolatry. Uh, On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these things, verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, as you grow up, as you mature, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. That's an incredible promise in that last verse, verse 10, because here's what it's saying. In all this ugly stuff that it says we have to put away, and we'll go there in just a second, so buckle your seatbelt, but the promise at the end, verse 10, is you can get there. You were created in the image of your creator, which, listen, just by that statement alone says you have it within you to act like he acts, to love like he loves, to talk like he talks. It's in you. It may take a lifetime to get there, and no, we won't perfect it until we stand before Jesus in heaven, but it's in us, and because it's in us, it's required of us as men. So before we go any further, just one man saying to other men, this is what God says to us that a real man, real man does. There's a saying in society, and it's been said since I was a little boy, I know, and, and, and it's easy to say, and I think we would all agree with it, and it goes like this, men especially, I would die for my family. And I hope you mean that. I, I can't imagine that there's one man in this room today that doesn't hear that statement, I would die for my family, and he doesn't mean it. If there was ever an intruder in your home or a, a deadly situation where your family was literally in physical danger, I believe with all of my heart that every man in here would do whatever he could to protect and provide for his family. I believe we would die for our families, right? But here's the problem, and it's twofold. First part is, that's probably never going to happen. Most men, I would say 99.9% of men in this world are never put in a situation where they have to take a bullet or lay down their life for their family. The odds of that happening are very rare. It's probably not going to happen in your lifetime. The other part, and this is where it gets touchy, is that dying for, you, for your family is not what your family really needs you to do for them. They don't need you to die for them. Your family needs you to kill some other things in your life. According to Colossians chapter 3, though, look at this. Those we love the most need us men to kill our lust, greed, selfishness, insecurity, verbal abuse, dishonesty, cheating, and laziness. That's what they need from us. They need us to put those things to death, not die for them. And again, I'm not saying you wouldn't do that if, if, if it came to it, a, a, a tragic moment where you had to give your life for your family. I believe that. The question is, are you man enough? Are you chasing after Jesus enough that you're willing to take the hard road to put to death lust, greed, selfishness, insecurity, verbal abuse, dishonesty, cheating, and laziness? That's the harder road. Our families don't need us. Listen, they don't just need us to save them from some major danger or attack. Our loved ones need us to quit walking out on them when life gets hard and when it's not fun anymore. I don't, I don't know if my dad will watch this, but my biological father walked out on our family when I was four years old. I believe with all my heart he took the easy way out. But what happened 20 years later 
is that I was married and my wife was pregnant with our first daughter and it got scary in my own life. And I didn't have a lot of men in my life growing up to teach me hard truths like this, that men stay until the job is done, even when it's not fun and even when it's really hard. And so at 23 years old, while Michelle was pregnant with our first daughter, I played monkey see, monkey do, and it got hard and it got scared. So guess what I did? I left. I quit. I ran. Not because it was the right thing to do, and yes, I was already a pastor. But I was scared and it was hard. And the immediate thing inside our minds is going, this is freaking me out. i got to get out of here. And that's what I did. I told you I don't have the authority to teach this to you today. It's just one struggler telling another struggler where to get help. And it comes from God's word. Dads, look at this. Our kids don't need us to save them every time they fall down or get their feelings hurt. They need us to carve out intentional time to invest in them and who God has called them to be. Man, your family doesn't need you to take a bullet for them. They need you to slow down and spend time with them. Men, your sons don't need you to act tough in every situation where they think, they grew up thinking you're bulletproof. Your sons need you to look them in the eye and say, son, life is hard sometimes and you're going to need help. And teach them and let them see what it looks like to raise your hand and go, I need help. I can't walk this road by myself. That's what your kids need. Again, not condemnation. But if conviction is there, that's between you and God. So what's the answer for all this? All these awkward statements, and, 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 and I know what you're thinking, like, Steve, thanks for all the warm, fuzzy encouragement today, but how am I supposed to get there? Like, what does it look like? How do I become a, a, a biblical man who doesn't run when it gets hard, who does put to death my lust and greed and insecurity and laziness and cheating and verbal abuse? How do I do that? I'm glad you asked. Band, you guys can come on up. As the band comes, let, let's land the plane like this. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the answer to that question very simply. And I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, you're not going to like it because it's too simple. And it's going to sound cheesy and trite and Sunday school. But here's the answer. If you want to be the kind of man who sacrifices his own wants and desires for the needs of the ones they love the most, then here's what you got to do. you got to start thinking like Jesus. And I'm not talking about whiny, soft-handed, pale-skinned, blue-eyed Jesus that holds the lamb in the picture that you've seen in a lot of churches. The Jesus that never got dirty or never did anything hard in his life. Never got dirt under his fingernails. Who wants to follow that Jesus? Not me. The Jesus that I'm talking about that we need to start thinking like is not a Jesus that made whiny requests. He was a king, the king, the king of kings, and he makes commands. And it goes like this in Matthew chapter 10. Look at this. Whoever finds, holds on to, won't let go of his life, will lose it. But whoever loses, sacrifices, lays down his life for my sake, and that's the key, 
will find it. Find what? Find real life. And that's the key. For my sake, Jesus is saying, if you believe in me enough, if you really trust enough that I have your best interest in mind, man, that you don't have to follow the Hollywood version of what a man is, that you don't have to fall for the lie that society says that you got to act bulletproof and you got to get yours and get it now and don't worry about what falls on other people. When you come to a place in your life where you trust Jesus enough, hand over the keys then you find real life everything else before then is an imposter it's not real Paul writing to yet another church in Philippians chapter 2 says this this is his command God's word to us today in 2017 not to a bunch of guys 2000 years ago it's to us today men Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing. But in humility, count others, starting with those you love the most, more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this a mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, held on to, white-knuckled. But instead, look at verse 7. He emptied himself. He sacrificed. He gave up. By taking the form of a servant, being born into the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what a biblical man looks like. Selfless, others-minded. Men, look at me. If you're anything like me, and listen, I've been looking at this all week long. Probably hear some of the things we said and look at some of the things on on the screen today and you think to yourself, how in the world I ever going to be able to be like that and here's how Jesus Jesus understands Jesus knows you and what you struggle with the most he knows you more than you know yourself and Jesus wants to help you today there's a man in here today and you've never come to that point in your life where you trust Jesus enough to hand over the keys and go I've been trying my way and clearly it's not working. I choose you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. Make that day today. Don't don't leave this place today without going to one of our, find somebody in a blue shirt or find one of our elders, our staff team, find somebody and go, I want to know more what it looks like and what it means to hand over the keys of my life to Jesus Christ. Because if I've figured out one thing from this man series, I've figured this out. I can't do it by myself. When a mark of a real man, a real man knows when to ask for help. Back to Jesus. Jesus wants to help you, men. Jesus will give you strength. He promised it all throughout Scripture. Jesus will convict you when you start going out of bounds. Your job is to listen and obey. 
Jesus will send people to help you. I've heard story after story from this past weekend where men sat in small groups, looked across the circle at each other and went, I am struggling. And I've heard stories where the men on the other side of that went, me too, let's walk this together. I got your back, you have my back. Jesus will send people to help you. And here's the most important part of this whole conversation, this whole series, men. If you don't get anything else, listen, don't leave this series. Don't leave this last four weeks thinking, man, I'm never going to measure up. I'll never be able to do that. Listen to me. The, The number one thing that you have got to hold on to about Jesus throughout this whole series is this right here. Jesus will not give up on you. He will not and he has not. No matter how low you feel right now, no matter how, what, and, and, and I, hear, I, I hear some of the stories in your lives and it's hard. And all of us have had moments in our lives where we go, I, I just don't measure up. In that moment where you're looking yourself in the mirror and going, I don't measure up, Jesus is whispering in your ear, you don't have to measure up because I do. You just choose me and I'll do the measuring for you. The question is, do you trust him enough to accept that grace? Because that's what that's called. Jesus not giving up on you, it's called grace. Let's pray together. truth is hard sometimes Lord sometimes it feels heavy on our hearts on our shoulders God would you please right now speak to every man in this room every man listening on video would you speak to their heart and remind them that you are enough they don't have to be enough because you're enough. Would you remind them that no matter how many times they fall short of what a biblical man looks like, you will not give up. You have not written them off. You have not walked away. Even if there's a man here today in this room, Lord, and they are in the darkest moment of their life, would you remind them that at the very bottom of the darkest pit, you are there. And the plan that you have for his life is still intact. And that you created and wired him to make a difference. His life was given to him to help other people. And you still want to do that, no matter how low they are right now. Speak that truth into our lives all day today, Lord. All week this week. Help us reach out and find other men who can who can continue to tell us that and teach that truth into our lives, speak it into our lives until we believe it, until we start to live it. God, as we close today and close out this series, thank you for the men who come to the Bridge Fellowship. Thank you for the courage that you've given them to sit through these four weeks and hear really hard truth. Thank you that so many of them are other-minded, others minded. So many of them are sacrificial and they, they help others and, and their lives are about making a difference in other people's lives. 
this church would not be what it is without them. I pray blessings on their family. I pray blessings on their career. But most of all, God, I pray that you would draw them close to you so that day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, they, we, not just they, we, us men, slowly but surely start to look more like the Jesus who died for us on the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen.